Hello, my name is Silent Snooper, and welcome to the very first episode of Sanity Optional. In the previous episode, I talked about why the Eagles really couldn't have flown the ring to Mordor, and where Gondor actually was when the Westfold fell. But right now, I'd like to talk to you about my ideas and plans for this podcast, and then talk a little bit about my problems with retail World of Warcraft. So why call it Sanity Optional? Many people think that Einstein said that the definition of insanity was doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Well, he didn't say that. It's a misquote. It's actually thought that Rita Mae Brown, author of a book published in 1983 called Sudden Death, came up with the phrase for one of her characters. I've been working in retail for far too long, working for the same kinds of companies doing the same stupid dead-end jobs, and it hasn't gotten me anywhere, so I'm going to try something different. I would like this show to be organic, free-flowing, natural, but it's going to take some time for me to hone those skills. I'm an introvert and don't externalize my internal monologue very well, and my brain loves to edit and re-edit my words. So for now, I'm going to write everything out in a document and read that, but hopefully not like a robot. I apologize if some of my work sounds like I'm reading from my screen, because I am, but I'm going to try to be more vocally emotive. I would like for these episodes to be somewhere between 20 to 40 minutes, depending on the topic. Please let me know what you're looking for as far as the length of time that is optimal for you, and I'll try to accommodate the time around the average of all the replies that I receive. I am a geek, and so a lot of my topics will probably be something geek-related, But I also want to talk about things like psychology and dreams and history and other reality-based subjects. I think I'm going to start with an episode a week. If I can fit more in between streaming and real-life commitments, I will do so. But for now, an episode a week seems very doable. I like words, and I like obscure words. And I like to think that other people might like to learn about words. So I plan on having a Word of the Week section in each episode hopefully one I can tie into the main piece. I would also like a segment about an article on the subjects of science or technology which I find interesting, and I hope that you will too. Finally, I plan on doing a comments and response podcast, likely once a month at the end, and I'll go through any comments or emails I receive and reply to some of them. And now on to the main topic, why I stopped playing Retail World of Warcraft. I'm an explorer at heart, and before 2005, I played games like Morrowind and the original Deus Ex, and those are amazing games. If you haven't played them, I highly recommend them. I was convinced to play WoW by a co-worker, and after seeing someone raiding BWL at school. I saw them working together to take down Ebonrock, and thought, oh hell yeah, I'm in, where do I sign up? So I started playing on my, at the time, potato computer. I was super hooked into the world, the lore, the unanswered questions, and I explored everywhere I could, even off-map. I joined a guild who taught me the basics. As well as my first MMO, I'd only played single-player games up till now, and things like slash commands were new to me. All the basic MMO stuff was also new to me, including tank, healer, and DPS roles. I was leveling as a human arms warrior. I remember adventuring through Elwyn Forest, dying to Hogger, 
crossing that stone bridge into Westfall, helping old Blanche and making my way to Sentinel Hill. I remember questing near the river and looking across it to the dark forest of Duskwood beyond, which to this day is still one of my favorite zones in the whole game. I learned how to do dungeons, the basics of DPS standing behind the target, don't out-threat the tank, stay in line of sight of the healer, and of course, don't stand in fire. I became interested in tanking when I hit level 60, mostly out of necessity. I wanted to raid, but raids were pretty much only looking for tanks at the time, so I went and figured out how to tank. I changed from arms to protection, read the talents and the abilities, picked what I thought was best, and I started tanking lower and upper Blackrock Spire for experience, and soon off tanking in Molten Core. While I was mostly self-taught in the ways of tanking, I did get help from friends like tips and tricks. Then the Burning Crusade came out, and I leveled as a tank. Quests were fairly easy, but they took longer than doing them as DPS. I continued to hone my skills, tanking in dungeons. I practiced my stun and interrupt skills, questing against caster mobs, and learned more about line-of-sighting mobs. I explored the continent of Outland, the mushroom forest of Zenger Marsh, the shattered lands of Netherstorm, and all the other zones. I was immersed in the creative worlds of Warcraft. Over the course of the expansion, and over the course of several guilds, I cleared the forgotten mage tower of Karazhan, the prison of Magtheridon's lair, and the dark caverns of Gruul's lair. We ventured beneath Zanger Marsh into the waterworks of the Serpent Shrine Cavern, defeating Lady Vash. I flew to the floating crystal ship of Tempest Keep, defeating the traitor Kael'thas. Archimonde fell, and we ventured into the foreboding fortress of the Black Temple. We managed to kill Illidan pre-nerf, and Amani warbears were had by all in my raid team. Then we dabbled in the glorious bastion of Sunwell Plateau. I loved every minute of it. Wrath of the Lich King launched, and Arthas taunted us from his frozen throne. It was in Wrath, I think, that things started to change. The zones were certainly fun to explore, except for Grizzly Hill's quests. Arthas kept popping up in quests and dungeons, interfering with our plans as we were interfering with his, which I think is a good thing to be reminded of the big bad boss of the expansion, reminded how utterly indomitable he was as he laughed at our puny attempts to stop him. But I think that was when guides for raid bosses really started to become prevalent. I didn't mind at first, and it made sense to some degree. Save people's time by killing bosses sooner faster, more efficiently. I liked the idea of heroic raids. They gave me something to strive for, to put effort in for. But Wrath ended, Cataclysm came and went. Pandaria pandered to laziness for its last 18 months, and as time went on, I started to notice that I wasn't enjoying the game as much. I enjoyed the raids for their aesthetics and some of the fights, like heroic Lei Shen, but what at the time seemed like small changes for quality of life or convenience began to accrue and started to show their detriments. The world was gorgeous, don't get me wrong, but the game started to feel like a list of chores. 
I'm a procrastinator, and I inherently hate doing chores, only doing them when I have to. Oh, I'm really low on dishes, or I really need to do laundry, and I'll do them because it's the responsible thing to do. I just tend to put it off as long as I can. I don't need chores in a video game. Video games are meant to be fun. Yes, I don't mind grinds in video games, and I've done terrible grinds in the past. I finished the Insane in the Membrane title before it was nerfed into the ground. My character, that same warrior, has over 100 exalted reputations, almost 400 mounts, over 800 unique pets, and over 27,000 achievement points, along with hundreds of hours of playtime. So I know my grinds. But when the game gets to a point where I feel like it's a second job, where my efforts might get rewarded, because there is RNG on top of RNG on top of RNG, I start to ask myself if it's really worth it. Challenge Mode Dungeons were brilliant. I loved them. I thought they were a great new addition to the game. I liked reforging my gear because I could optimize for whatever I needed and it allowed me to feel like I had a more fine control over my stats. But nerfing profession bonuses, Titan forging in all its myriad forms, LFR which gave no incentive to improve yourself, learning boss strategies before you'd even encountered the boss which takes all the learning away except for the actual execution of the fight. These took away the excitement of learning and exploring new content as a group. It went from, alright guys, keep your eyes open and let's figure this out, to, okay, this boss has X amount of things it does in X phases and hits like a truck, and persons Y and Z has to do this mechanic, and if they don't, we wipe. It took away the enjoyment and made it feel like a slog. Give me surprise events I have to deal with, even if the surprise occurs once. Even when I learn how to deal with that mechanic, I'll also have the memory of, oh my gosh, that was cool. Then on top of all of this, let's give everyone legendaries, which is supposed to be the rarest and most difficult thing to acquire in the game. How exciting. Little to no effort required. Then I went to, let's give everyone legendaries with a huge pain in the ass RNG system behind it. And you can actually get totally screwed if you don't get the good ones early. Oh, you don't have your best legendary? Looks like you're not raiding again this week until you get it, because all the other people of your class have this item, but you don't, so you do less damage or healing or mitigation than they do. For a while, I thought that the artifact weapon system was fun, interesting, etc. Getting artifact power for it made sense lore-wise, but it turned into a mandatory grind. I don't mind grinds, as I said before, and grinds can be good, they build character, patience, etc., and they can be very rewarding if done right. But grinds need to have a visible end, and a semblance of a tangible reward. Grinding AP to get all your talents in your weapon was fine. That made sense, and I mostly enjoyed that. But then they introduced the essentially infinite bar that occasionally gave you a minuscule amount of power. I didn't, and still don't, see the point of it. Then Battle for Azeroth launched and introduced the Necklace, which was the same thing as your artifact weapons, but worse. Another infinite bar to level up for very little rewards on the gear itself. But on top of that, leveling was mandatory for specific pieces of gear that were best in slot for you in most situations. And then, with Titan Forging and item level boosts, you had to farm that gear again. The same gear, from the same dungeon or raid, from the same boss. 
the same drop chance, just a chance of a bigger number on the piece. And those bigger numbers needed higher levels on your necklace to activate their properties. Whoop-de-freaking-do! Oh, look. There are things you can imbue into your necklace now. But hey, it's a whole new separate grind system for those. Oh, look. New corrupted items. Better go refarm your biscuit and hope that you get the correct corruption sockets and tertiary stats. Eventually, I stopped caring. I stopped playing. Too much RNG mixed with too much mandatory and pretty arbitrary grinding endlessly. I don't want to do things over and over and over because I have to. I want to do them over and over and over because they're fun to do. If they happen to reward me in a useful way, great. If not, I still had fun, hopefully with friends. To get away from infinite grinding, I heavily became involved with twinking. Twinking, if you don't know, is leveling a character to a certain level, turning off your experience, and then doing appropriate content at that level with friends, while trying to acquire the best gear you can and get as OP as possible. One of the reasons I started twinking at level 70 and 80 was that the content was fun, the people were great, and there was an achievable end goal of being completely as badass as possible. There aren't really best in slot lists at Endgame Worried Tale World of Warcraft. There's always some RNG element on whether it can get sockets or tertiaries or higher numbers. It's an infinite cycle. And while Shadowlands got rid of Titan Forging, which took them entirely too long, there's still a bunch of menial, meaningless, infinite tasks to do for little reward. Twinking had BIS lists, best in chance, optimal professions for XYZ reasons for your class and spec. Yes, some raids were easy, and some raids were challenging. But when doing them with guildies and friends, they were all fun. Even Mount Hyjal or Trial of the Crusader. The beginning of BFA was the death knell for Twinks. The eye-level squish really killed the community. And Shadowlands' level squish was the last wooden stake in the heart of a fun but obscure part of the game. I played World of Warcraft for 15 years. My main always being my first warrior. I never not cared about my character. I built a good reputation. I was known as a friendly and decent player. Not that server reputation matters anymore. And as things steadily declined, in BFA I stopped caring. I didn't raid or do dailies and mostly logged in for side projects and old content. I gave Shadowlands a shot, but it's just more of the same and that's not for me. If it's for you, great. I hope you enjoy it for as long as you're able but I'm throwing in the towel on retail for now. A day may come where I log in again and spend hours grinding on my warrior and raid the current content, but it is not this day. This day I prepare for the Burning Crusade Classic with my level 70 twink friends, doing content we enjoy, having some banter, and helping each other out when we need help the most. I'll be a mage this time around, so I'm excited to not be doing the same old thing and learn part of the game from a different Point of view. And now for our word of the day. Desiderium. It's a noun. It is derived from the Latin word desiderare, which means to desire. Desiderium first appeared in a Latin dictionary from 1879, and it means a longing for something once possessed, but now lost. And if I were to use it in a sentence, I would say I sometimes experience desiderium 
when thinking about the feeling I had exploring my favorite games. And finally, on to our science and technology section, where we'll be looking at a couple of articles from NewScientist.com and Ars Technica, where we ask a difficult question, how does gravity work with quantum mechanics on super tiny scales? And no, not scales as in weighing something, scales as in the size of a thing. We're still not sure how gravity works with quantum mechanics, but progress is being made. One of the conundrums of gravity is that A, we don't know how it interacts with dark energy, or why does the universe keep expanding when gravity pulls things together, and B, how gravity affects things on the quantum scale. Things that minuscule seem to defy gravity in mind-boggling ways. Physicists from the University of Vienna, Austria, have figured out how to measure the gravitational field of a solid gold sphere which weighs 90 milligrams and is almost one millimeter wide. According to Aris Technica, the setup seems to be as follows. Quote, it involves a solid bar with a gold ball attached to each end. The bar is suspended at its center point, which allows it to rotate freely around the horizontal plane. Also, there's a mirror placed at its center point, which is used to reflect a laser. If a mass is brought near one of the gold balls, it will exert a gravitational force that pulls the ball towards it. The ensuing rotation will cause the mirror to rotate with it, changing where the laser ends up being reflected. End quote. Now looking at the picture in the article, it seems that the mass referenced earlier is actually a third gold sphere. I can't confirm this because nowhere does it actually say that's what it is, but it looks like a gold-colored sphere at the end of a tiny metal shaft, and this sphere is like two millimeters away from one of the spheres on the separate main metal rod. Anyway, this third gold sphere begins to oscillate over a distance of 1.6 millimeters. The reason the oscillation of the sphere was 1.6 millimeters is because it would create a resonance frequency that was easily distinguished from the natural resonances of the pendulum that the bar forms. By doing this oscillation, they were able to see and measure the gravitational effect from the first sphere onto the second one. The oscillation of 1.6 millimeters had the effect of moving the second sphere by only a few nanometers. This makes the gold sphere the smallest object in mass whose gravity has been measured. This wasn't easy to do. They needed very sensitive equipment to do this, and they needed as calm conditions as possible. Their system was so sensitive that according to one of the physicists, Marcus Aspelmeyer, they detected the first finisher at the Vienna Marathon, which took place two kilometers away. I'm also assuming that they took into account in their calculations the force of the laser beam on the mirror against the rotation of the bar. Along with other steps, a Faraday shield was placed between the two gold balls to help mitigate electrical attraction, and they also flooded the vacuum chamber with ionized nitrogen to get rid of any stray electrical charges. The results? The researchers were able to determine that the gravitational force of one sphere onto the other ended up at around 9 times 10 to the negative 14 newtons. They also used this result to approximate the gravitational constant. While the number they came up with was off by almost 9%, it was still within the uncertainties of their measurements. They also figure that their system is so sensitive that they can measure 
accelerations as small as 2 times 10 to the negative 11 meters per second squared, which is a zero followed by a decimal, 10 more zeros, and a 2. Or if I figured this out correctly, 2 100 billionths of a meter per second squared. As for why, the hope is that in the future we will be able to measure gravitational effects in a quantum system and bring together our knowledge of gravity and quantum mechanics in a way that makes sense and one that we can utilize. Aspelmeyer said, quote, it turns out that when you do experiments that test gravity on very small scales with very small masses, you can, in theory, probe both dark energy and quantum physics. He also said that this experiment is a door opener, end quote. Well, that's it for the very first episode of Sanity Optional, and looking at the clock, uh, it's just barely long enough, so I will need to work on that more. I thank you very much for listening. Please let me know what you thought, good or bad. Just don't be rude about it. You can leave feedback at sanityoptionalpodcast at gmail.com and on Twitter, YouTube, and the subreddit, all under Sanity Optional. And until next time, stay sane, if you want. It's optional. <laughs>